Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a story-based podcast. So today we have Ashley Miner on to share her story. Ashley works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and she's also a podcast host, and she's working on a book. And she shares her story with us today. She grew up in Mississippi in a lot of poverty, and she talks all about basketball and how it really took her out of that environment brought her to college. She went through a ton of stuff in college. It's a really good story. You know, she witnessed physical abuse as a child with her mother. There's just a lot there. And she talks a lot about her healing from all of that and what she's learned and how she got to where she is today. It's a really inspiring story. So stay tuned. Ashley, welcome to So What Else. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Caitlin. I'm honored to be on your show. Yeah, I'm excited. So I was in the first cohort of Jamie Ivey's podcast course. Okay. And that was how I came across your name because there was one day I we were Zooming or whatever and she was like, oh, our intern's in the office, Ashley. And they were like, oh, you should listen to her podcast. And so I wrote it down because I am like, it's so funny now, you know, because I have the podcast, I'm always mm-hmm. looking for people like that have a story to share. So it's yeah. like if someone likes mentions anything, I write their name down, like in the note in my phone, and then I'll go stalk them. And <laughs> so here we are. I found your podcast and I listened to your story and I was like, oh, I should totally reach out to her. So here yeah. we are. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It means the world to me. Um, and I love my story. I tell people all the time I'm a little biased, but it's it's what I've walked through and um, I'm honored to share it with all the people. So thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. Of course. So before we get into it, why don't you introduce yourself to us? Like, where do you live? What do you do? Yes. Yes. Um, so my name is Ashley Miner. I currently live in Pflugerville, Texas. It's such a weird name, but it's yeah. right outside of Austin, Texas. Okay. So I'm about 15 minutes from Austin. Normally, I don't tell people I'm from Pflugerville. I just say Austin. Yeah. Um, because nobody's heard of Pflugerville. Yeah. And I work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, aka FCA. And I am the FCA representative for the University of Texas, Hook'em Horns. Nice. So I get to disciple student athletes who are living and it's a dream job of mine. I graduated with a sports ministry degree, um, knowing that the Lord was calling me to FCA. So this is what I get to do on a on a daily basis. And then I do part-time work with Ivy Media and Jamie Ivy, who you mentioned um, earlier. And it's amazing just to sit under her leadership and her wisdom and just see how gifted she is and what the Lord has done through her ministry. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Love it. What's the weather like in Texas right now? Ooh, it's like really drowsy. It's not cold. It's, I think it's probably about high seventies out there right now. It's been raining. So I feel like it's trying to get cold. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. But very little sunshine. So I'm kind of sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's that weird transition, right? Like even, I don't know if you guys get really nice, like fall colors down there and stuff like that. We but don't. I'm, no, that stinks. All right. So here <laughs> in Jersey, fall is really beautiful. Look, there's a lot of not pretty things about Jersey, but fall is really beautiful. But even here, 
at this point, most, at least where I am, most of the leaves are down. It's looking pretty brown. You know what I mean? Like we're doing that transition now and it's Mm. like not as pretty as it was a few weeks ago. So it's like, you know, those transition periods. I'm a little jealous. I'm originally from Mississippi and we do get the the leaves changing. Um, But here in Texas, it does not happen. I have a friend from Pennsylvania and I know that's pretty near to where you are. And he showed me, he went back home recently and showed me the trees and I was like, wow. Yeah. It's happening. But no, it's I, I was just telling someone this sounds so silly every time I say it, but it's like, I think I have seasonal depression. <laughs> no, it's not silly. It's I a real thing. It's a, it's a real thing. And I just cannot get accustomed to this whole transition just yet. So totally. No, yeah. I feel that. Absolutely. Whenever the seasons <laughs> change, it's like a whole, it's like a gut punch. It really is. It's always like, oh my goodness. And it does sound silly, right? Like, cause you are mm-hmm. like, what is the big deal? So what? But it it you feel it. Yeah, it's seasonal. It's seasonal depression. It is a it's a thing, and it sounds For silly, sure. but it's it's real. It totally is real. It totally is real. All right. So you grew up in Mississippi. So I actually spent a summer in Mississippi. Oh, I don't know, ten or twelve years ago. I was in oh, Burlington, wow. Mississippi. Do you have any idea where that is? It's a tiny, tiny little town. And I can't even remember right now what the big town was that it was near. Of course, I'll probably remember it as soon as we log off of this. But Mm. we were doing Katrina relief. Um, Oh, okay. Okay. So we were down there and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So tell me about growing up. So where in Mississippi did you grow up? I grew up in a small town called Natchez. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it sits on the Mississippi River. Very beautiful, um, historic town, probably about 13,000 people. And um, I was born and raised in Natchez, didn't leave Natchez until after, until I went to college. I always came back home to Natchez and then I moved to Orlando um, after college. But yes, born and raised in Natchez, Mississippi, went to high school all the way from pre-K through high school um, in this small town. My entire family's from Natchez. Um, I love oh, wow. going back. It's it's a beautiful place. The food is absolutely amazing. Uh-huh. And so that that small town has a big part of my heart. Yeah, I bet. Do you hope to sure. end up back there one day? I don't. The Lord would have to really press on my heart that that's where I'm supposed to go back to. Mississippi is known for it. It's known as the retirement state. Okay. And um, it's not much there. And I think in this younger season of my life, I don't see myself going back there. Maybe when I get older um, and wind down. Maybe it'll be a thought, but there's just so much out here in the world that I've seen. And I'm like, I don't want to go back to the small town. Totally. I didn't know it was known as the retirement state or whatever. Yeah, I think I would have thought that it was Florida, but that makes sense because it's probably It's the cheapest. Yeah, it's the cheapest. I believe it's still ranked the cheapest place to live in America. Wow. (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. All right. So tell me a little bit about your childhood. So you grew up in Natchez. I know Mm -hmm. you're the youngest of how many kids? Five. Oh, wow. My God bless your mother. (laughs) Big family. Yes. So I, Caitlin grew up in a, in a Christian home. My grandmother, I've only met one of my grandparents. The other three were passed away um, by the time I was born. And so my grandmother, my mother's mom, 
um, was a strong believer. And she pretty much, maybe my grandfather, but because I've only seen her in person, set the tone for the family. Mm -hmm. And we went to church very inconsistently, but we would say that, you know, there is a God. We believe Mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ. We just had no relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And so my mom... Um, And my dad got together and they were never married, had five children. I'm the youngest of five. And they split at a very early age. I was probably about three or four. Okay. I was was so young. I don't remember my dad being in the house Mm -hmm. um, with us. And so my mom took the girls. I have three sisters and one brother. My brother's the oldest. And um, my brother stayed with my dad in Louisiana. So Natchez, Mississippi sits on the river and there is a bridge that's about half a mile long. And on the other side of it, you could be in Louisiana in like two minutes. So my dad, yeah. So my dad and my brother lived in this city called Vidalia, Louisiana, and we were in Natchez, probably about 10 minutes apart from um, each other's homes. And so my mom, it was very hard on my mom. And although my dad was was alive. He was very absent, mm-hmm. and um, which caused my mom to kind of raise us as a single parent. So we moved sure. to what we call the projects—a very low-income, assistance-driven home. Um, these 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 apartment complex run by the government. And um, I kid you not, if it wasn't for the government, I don't know how we would have had the next meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with that, it was still so incredibly hard. So I was raised in this poverty-driven lifestyle. Um, Next door to us was violence. Next door to us was um, alcoholics. All these things I saw at a very young age. It was very toxic, and but it was normal. So I never felt out of place because everywhere around us, there were people, um, they were doing it just as bad as I was. It was it was very hard. It was very difficult. But like I said, that was the norm. That was all we knew. That was just it. Did you have like a relationship with your brother? Did you see him much or not really? We did. We did. Um, So my brother, I had a, we had a great relationship. All of my siblings are super close. And so my brother, um, I wasn't as close to him because I was the youngest and there was a bigger gap, Mm -hmm. but we saw him all the time. We saw my brother, we saw my brother more than my dad. Mm -hmm. And so my brother would come and visit us. But for some reason, again, this sounds so sad, but it was the norm in the projects for kids not to know who their fathers were. And so the fact that we actually knew who our dad was, it was like, oh, that's good enough for us. And so, yeah, we saw our brother and All right. So it's not like you grew up with this sense of like, I wish my dad was here more. I wish my family looked like this. Like you didn't necessarily have that because you weren't really surrounded by it. Right, right, right. We didn't see, we didn't see other kids in a, in a home with two parents. Sure. It was normally um, a mother's strength who was carrying the family. And um, we did see a lot of families with stepdads. Mm-hmm. And so we even had a stepdad um, and it was normal. Yeah. So tell me about that. Your mom started dating this mm-hmm. guy and you loved him, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did. And so because of the absence of the father, which we didn't know we were missing right, until 
our stepdad came into the picture and he was like, oh, we feel this father's love. We didn't know that we were missing the father's love until he brought his presence. And we was like, oh, we actually like this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is good for my mom. This is good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is good for us financially. We saw things that we never saw when he came into the picture. For instance, um, Christmas was, was different as far as yeah. the presents we got. And even though it's not all about the gifts as a kid, oh, of course, totally. we, <laughs> in America, we set, you know, this this example of Christmas to be, you know, on that morning, of although we're celebrating our Savior, who we believe to be our Savior, it's a lot about us and what gift did we get. And so we were just like any other kid looking for a gift. And a lot of times when it was just my mom, there were no presents. Mm-hmm. If so, there was one thing. And when our stepdad came into the picture, he... Um, was we were able to get more things because there were two incomes in the house and we loved him so much. He played games with us and um, it twisted about, I'm not sure the time frame, but I feel like it wasn't long, maybe a few months where we saw a different side of him. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was extremely tough for us because we loved our mom. And mm-hmm. so he goes from this, this friendly father figure guy to this very aggressive man. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was going on from the beginning of the relationship or not, but the first time it caught my eye, I was probably about seven or eight years old. And I went into my mom's room and this guy was physically beating my mom with his hands. And <sighs> he wasn't a small guy. And I remember just crying and running in the room to my sisters and saying, such and such is hitting my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, what? And we were all girls. It was just the girls in the house. So we were terrified. Of course. And um, I remember us calling the cops, the cops getting there. He ran away before the cops got there. Ugh. And... Um, they in, eventually, I, I think he, I think they got a hold to him, but more than that, he was brought back into our presence with the permission from my mom. Oh. And so we were like, why is he back? This yeah. guy is evil. He's mean. Um, and it was because I love him. And looking back on it now, um, that was my example of love from a man, which was yeah. a poor example. And I don't think my mom, now knowing what love is, loved him. I think she loved what he could bring to the table so that we could be happy. Yeah. All right. So let's unpack that a little bit. So that's, mm-hmm. okay. First of all, a seven or eight year old walking in on mm-hmm. her mom getting beaten up by a guy mm-hmm. who you loved and trusted, Mm -hmm. what did that do to you emotionally? Emotionally, it was, I think that, and I've gone through counseling, not knowing that something could trigger back to seven-year-old me. Yeah. Um, When it comes to relationships with a guy, I was like, I don't ever want to be in a relationship. If this is love, if this is a standard, um, I'm good. I want to be single for the rest of my life. Um, And it brought this distrust from that day forward for him and anyone else that she dated. I immediately had a guard up and said, I don't want you in my life. I don't trust you. I don't like you. And so it was very hard for me to receive love from a man um, outside of my dad, who was, again, absent, but we loved his absence. Um, And so... 
yeah, it brought all of these emotional feelings and um, bad examples of fatherhood and love from a man. Totally. So he came back into the picture. How long was he back? He, ooh, probably a couple of years. And oh, wow. I would say that it wasn't, I don't know, and I've never asked my mom, I don't know if that relationship continued um, physically, but he was, he was back and it was, again, it was that, that, that comfort of what he brought to the table. Sure. And, and so he, he came back and we were, we just continued to live, you know, we just continued to live. There was even one point where he said to us, um, which now as I grew up, I realized that this was verbal abuse to us where he said, you guys can never talk to your dad again, our Mm. real dad. And I remember my one of my older siblings um, crying and just like, you guys, like he hated us. Like he's not going to let us talk to our dad. And for some reason I was like, you know, he can't do that. Right. Like, Mm. you know, that's not like possible. Um, But those words, that authority, um, it frightened us. It, it made us even hate him more. And so we're living from this place of hate, which is as a believer, we shouldn't live from this space, but no one also has ever taught us how to love a person who um, has been so harmful to us emotionally, yeah. verbally, and physically. Did it give you, because um, you were mentioning how that gave you a lot of trust issues with men, understandably. Mm-hmm. Did it give you mm-hmm. trust issues like with your mom? Like, did you ever feel kind of like, why Why is he back? Like, I don't, why mm-hmm. are you letting him be back? Like after you this happened or, you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah, that's a great question. And I've never thought about that question or looked at it from those lens, but I never, I never for one second questioned my mom. Um, I, her trust, I, I never questioned her trust. And it is weird because you would think that when somebody does love you, it's almost that protection, right? Um, but we, yeah, we just continue to believe that she loved us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, although, and and I and I fully understand what was happening there. Again, he was providing something right. that she thought was so good for us, but really and truly, we were better off without anything, without any gift. Um, that he brought to the table in just our hardships in the absence of a stepdad. Mm-hmm. And so I think she, I think her looking, I think when she was looking at it from her lens, it was, this is, this is good for them on this side of the fence. I'd rather totally. sacrifice my body, my face um, for them to have a gift like the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. Totally. So, yeah. So, yeah, so that's how we looked at it. Yeah. Um, and it never, it never changed to the other direction of, oh, well, if you love us, then why would you bring him back? But that is, that's a great thought too. Yeah, no, to- that's so hard. I mean, because it seems like obviously mm-hmm. your mom had him around out of love for you guys because he was mm-hmm. able to bring stability financially, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so for- yes. That's that's important, you know? And so yes. for her, that was coming out of a place of love for you mm-hmm. and your sisters. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really beautiful that you 
could understand that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That you were mm-hmm. like, I know, I understand this. Like, what's going yeah. on here, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um. So tell me about when basketball kind of came into your life. Yeah. So my dad was an incredible basketball player. And um, we would hear stories about him and bat- his his career with basketball as a kid growing up. I had an aunt to live right around the corner from my dad in Vidalia, Louisiana. And so people in that city, small town, knew my dad. They knew we were his children. And um, they would tell us these stories about how great of a shooter he was and how we were going to follow his footsteps. My brother played basketball. I played basketball. And then my next to the youngest sister played basketball as well. And so... Um, we, we, it was, it was almost as if basketball was instilled in me. Um, mm-hmm. it was a gift that really all I had to do is practice and I could affect it very well. So in the eighth grade, I started playing organized basketball mm-hmm. and Caitlin, I was awful. <laughs> I am not kidding. Like when you look at my stats and what I've accomplished with basketball, looking back now, you would be like, no. You know, but I was awful. I, I remember I had socks up to my knees as if I was in the 80s. <laughs> I had FUBU shoes. And let me just tell you, FUBU shoes were not cool. <laughs> and so um, I don't even know if they were great basketball shoes to even play in, but right. my jersey was big. Um, and I was I, I was an awful player, but I loved the game so much that I that summer after eighth grade year, going into my ninth grade year, I started playing with the guys. And that was like my training. We couldn't afford um, one-on-one training or right. AAU to get better. And so we just went to the local parks, played with the guys. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned so many moves because guys are more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And um, I I became this, this great player almost, it seems, overnight. That summer, those two months came back and everybody was like, what did you do? And I really just, like I said, it was in me, but I just had to um, get it affected, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, um, put the skill to the talent. And so ninth grade year, I was really good. I led our team in scoring. And then I moved up to varsity and as a ninth grader and I did well. I came off the bench. I wasn't this star athlete, but I, I, I did well. And then I continued to play varsity all through high school. And so by the time I made it to my senior year, um, I was leading school, had all these accomplishments. And then I started getting scholarships. Mm-hmm. And so I had about four or five scholarships and one, one or two were four year rides. Wow. And, um, yeah, and you would think that I would take that, but no one could give me wisdom. I was the first to go on a full athletic scholarship. So yeah. nobody had the wisdom to tell me how to go about taking um, a scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went, so whenever I went to, to, to look at the different scholarships, I just went where my, my friends went. And it was... It was this junior college, a two-year uh-huh. college, where I wasn't dependent on my last two years of school. Right. And so um, I went to this small junior college called Colin, and he was known, this coach was known for winning championships, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to win a championship, every basketball uh, player's yeah. dream. And so I went, and again, 
I had no walk with the Lord. Like I would tell you, like there is a God, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but I had no relationship with him. And so my first year at, at, at Colan, it was, it was awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. We won a championship. My second year um, was amazing. I became a better player and I got another scholarship. And that's mm-hmm. when I um, signed with Mississippi College. Oh, wow. Four year. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. All right. So you'd had your first two years amazing, did amazing. Yes. Then you transferred to Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So tell me about yes, that. Yes. So for, yeah. So at Mississippi College, Mississippi College is a Christian college. Okay. Did not go because it was a Christian college, but they were giving me a full ride, a private right. university, very expensive. I went there with, and people from my hometown had told me, hey, they knew, they knew what kind of student I was. I was a get by student, never a straight A student, didn't graduate okay. with honors, um, getting by just enough to be eligible to play basketball. And people would tell me, Ashley, Mississippi College is academic driven. Mm. They are very focused on their academics. And so I said, all right, I'm going to go with the mindset of academics and then I'm an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a student athlete, never lived that way. And so my first semester, which is junior year for me, um, college, I do great in the classroom. I do great on the court. Mm. Second semester comes around. That's when I get invite, invited to the parties. I am the ring leader. I'm texting the group. The football team has sent me the flyers. And um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I'm the leader to tell everybody where the location is. And we party, you know, college nights are like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes Sunday. And what happened was I got so caught up in that world that my academics started dropping to where mm. I couldn't do both. Um, I couldn't party, not study, and do well on the totally. court. And so um, midterm grades came around. My athletic advisor called me in. I kid you not, I was failing every class except for a walking class. <sighs> and she said, what she said, are you going to get your grades up or are you going to fail? And if you guys are Enneagram people, I'm an Enneagram three, very okay. driven, um, so afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, no, I'm going to get my grades up. Yeah. And May came around and I didn't change my my actions. My words were different than my actions. And I went home. Final grades came out. Um, about a week later after we had gotten out of school and I had a 1.3 GPA Ugh. and it was the worst thing that could have happened to me because basketball was my identity. Basketball mm-hmm. was ahead of my life and you need a 2.0 to be able to play. Okay. And basketball had become, since I was a kid, although I started playing organized basketball in eighth grade, basketball had been my identity at a very young age, maybe yeah. starting at nine, because we would go home and there were so many times where there were no lights. There were so many times where there were no food. There were so many times where there there were no adults in the house to ask me about my day. But every time I went outside, I had a basketball. Mm. And so that was my love. And I committed my life to basketball. Mm. Um, And so when I failed my classes and now I couldn't play the game, I seriously was at the point of I want to die. Mm. That's what I said. I I no longer want to live. There's no reason for me to live. I just rather die. And 
about three days later, I get a call from my head coach and I ignored the call probably like three times. He texted me. He said, hey, I have good news. And my thoughts immediately went to, oh, they, this really is true. Like people who <laughs> athletes, you know, they bump their grades. Up yeah. Or, yeah. You know, and I was like, this is awesome. And so he called me and he said, we want to give you a full ride on academic probation. And in this moment, like I said, I would go to church some as a kid. I'd give my life to the Lord at vacation Bible school with all the other sure. 50 kids. And I knew this was my second opportunity mm. from the Lord. And I said, I'm going to accept a scholarship. I had to sit out for an entire year. Oh. I couldn't play. I couldn't travel. All I could do was practice and lift weights. And, but they were still um, I, covering everything financially. Yes. Yes. Wow. Financially. And I knew that there was the Lord because yeah. this is an academic driven school and nobody else has ever, I don't think, I think I was the first history moment of getting a, a scholarship on academic probation when I'm the reason that I blew it. I'm not injured. Right. I'm not mentally ill. It's because I chose not to go to class. Mm. And so I go back to Mississippi College for um, junior year part two, mm -hmm. and I can't play. I sit out and I get involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And my director, Bethany Pygott, she asked to disciple me, and that is when my life began to change forever. Mm -hmm. And she asked me that I had ever given my life to the Lord and why, and she taught me scripture. And I fully understood who my Savior and my Lord was at this point, rededicated my life to the Lord, um, gave up. It was like a snap of a finger. I gave up drinking. I gave up partying. I just changed completely. Mm. And I started going to FCA on Monday nights. I was surrounded. It was a Christian school, so it wasn't hard to find a Christian community right. to go to church with and all the things. And uh, my second semester of my probation year, I was asked to be a part of the leadership team. So I'm not only going to FCA, but I'm helping plan FCA. Mm. And um, at the end of that year, my director's did a baptism on campus. And I, along with 13 other athletes, was baptized on Mississippi College softball field. And so oh, cool. a year that I thought was going to be the worst year of my life because I couldn't play a sport that I loved so much, a sport that was my identity, a sport that was my God, turned out to be the best year of my life because I found my Lord and my Savior. Mm. And from there, I changed my major. I felt like I heard so very clearly the Holy Spirit say, you will work through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So I finished, I changed my major to sports ministry. I loved sports. I was growing to love the gospel and, and his word. And um, I went back for I went back for senior year. And at this point, my directors, Justin and Bethany Pygott, moved to Austin, Texas to take mm. over UTFCA. And I went back to Mississippi College for senior year. I was now eligible to play basketball. Okay. I was in a major that I loved. And that following year, I, I graduated with a sports ministry degree. And so a full story, but God, <sighs> God snatched me up and, and brought me back. That's wild. That really is wild because honestly, you, yeah. basketball was everything to you, you know, in a lot of ways it had saved you, you know, because mm -hmm. it gave you this opportunity to go to college, completely paid mm -hmm. for like this amazing opportunity. So then for you to mm -hmm. lose that, where you're on this probation, you can't play, you can't travel with the team, like all that mm -hmm. stuff, you would think that that would derail you. 
Mm-hmm. And make for a lot of people, I think it would, right? For a lot mm-hmm. of people, I think yeah. it would make them just like yeah. be like, well, screw this. Like, I'm just gonna party harder, like, or I'm gonna drop out of school, or I'm just gonna go back home, like, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if I can't really play, like, in the games, yeah. what am I doing here? But it, yeah. that what could have been the worst year of your life ended up be changing your entire future. Yes, it did. And I'll say this. I wouldn't ever want my children, I don't have children, my future children, to grow up in the setting that I grew up in. But what the projects did for me was create so much grit mm. and so much drive because I was so determined to to get out of that lifestyle. I was so determined to break the cycle that when I had a second opportunity, I was... I was like this go-getter. I was I was determined to to make it. And so when I got that phone call, you know, when I saw my my grade point average, I was I was very stressed, but when I got that phone call, I knew I was like, man, I'm going to be after this. This is this is my opportunity to to really run after it and break the cycles and have a testimony and give God the glory. Mm, that's really 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 cool. That you were young, like you were still so young, but you had that Mm -hmm. clarity of thought. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to break the cycle, like you said, and I'm going to push hard. And I think that's really, really awesome. Tell me, I don't know if it was while you were at Mississippi, but I know that your dad got really sick at some point. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So actually this was after my eighth grade year in basketball, oh, okay. um, he he had been very sick, and um, he was a diabetic. He, my dad, um, drank, he smoked, not a very good, healthy lifestyle, mm. and he had gotten very sick. But we never thought that he was sick to the point of death, right? And so, because my dad, he was absent, but again. It was almost we loved his absence. It was mm-hmm. it's kind of weird saying that. But as I grew older, I envisioned this lifestyle with my dad. Sure. I was like, okay, I'm playing basketball now. I was terrible in the eighth grade. I didn't want anyone to come and watch me play basketball. Mm-hmm. No one. I was like, you guys do not come and watch me play. I'm awful. Mm-hmm. And when I got better in the ninth grade, that's when I said, oh, my dad's going to be on on the sidelines with me. My dad's yeah. going to be my coach. He's going to be at my games. And that was just a vision because he was so good at basketball. Mm-hmm. I envisioned us, okay, we're going to go and work on my free throws. He's going to teach me the game. I'm going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, going into my ninth grade year, two weeks before my ninth grade basketball game, we got the news. My sisters and I were at my aunt's home and we got the news that my dad had passed away. And we were all so shocked that we didn't say a word. We just all got up. And I remember, like I said, we walked outside and for some reason I just looked up to the sky and almost with this thought of like, God, what have you done? Mm-hmm. This was not the plan. And um, it was very hard for us, but a person who was so absent was also very missed. He was mm-hmm. also very loved because um, that was just our relationship. And so that was really hard. And I think what helped me get past that or or help 
or, or help get through that was this thought that, okay, I'm going to carry the dream. I'm going to carry the legacy mm-hmm. and I'm going to finish playing basketball. And so every game was pretty much dedicated to him. Mm-hmm. When I finished my last year of college, somebody, another girl um, throughout my entire year had the number 10 and he wore the number 10 and she graduated um, as I was going into my senior year. And I asked uh, my coaches, could I change my number um, to number 10? And it was, it was a special year for me. It was probably the best basketball I ever played. And um, wearing his number um, just gave me that that piece of, you know, this is this is for my dad. I dedicated mm. I dedicate this season to my dad. Yeah. So that was like your connection so. to him. That's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you did um end up going through some counseling mm-hmm. because so I'm curious about that. Just because you've mm-hmm. been through a lot of stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. the death of a parent, that's really traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Witnessing your mother getting physically abused, that's really traumatizing, you know, Mm -hmm. or even like you said, just growing up, sometimes there was no food, you know, there, the lights were off, things like that. Like that's a lot of trauma to sift through. When did counseling kind of come into your life? Actually, very recently, um, maybe a year and a half ago. And so counseling is just now, I feel like as a whole becoming more normal. Yes. Counseling, when you said you were going to counseling, it was, you were crazy. Totally. You know, nobody, there is something wrong with you. Yeah. It, yeah for nobody, so long. Nobody, yeah. nobody went to counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if I'm just being, especially in the black community, mm. no, we nobody ever went to counseling. Okay. Um, it had to be, I mean, you had to be at your all time lowest, you know, and um, I, my FCA director, Bethany Pike, I lived with them for the first few months when I moved mm. to Austin and we were walking through some things and she is the one who invited me to counseling, um, with a lady who counseled her. Mm. And it was, I was talking to her about this one thing that was relational, uh, thought I was going to marry this guy and it really took a toll on me mm-hmm. and she wanted to walk through that situation with me. And then she said, and then from there, we dug up all these other things. And I was like, oh, wow, I have a lot to, um, to tackle. I, there's, there are so many things that, that were, that, that were caused, that caused this as a kid that I didn't know affected me. And so, so yeah, you say all of that, the, the, the lack of adults, in the house to not ask me about my day to express my emotions. I struggle mm-hmm. with my emotions, struggle with facial expressions, struggle um, expressing on all levels, mm-hmm. um, trusting men. No, mm-hmm. I don't want you touching me, hugs, all those things. And so I realized very quickly that a lot of my upbringing um, is the reason why I I act and react the way I do as an mm-hmm. adult. Mm-hmm. It's so true. I mean, it's so good. I think that, well, I, I'm a huge proponent of counseling. I think everybody like could benefit from counseling, but I think that that's yeah. really cool. Cause like you said, you know, you grew up where it's like counseling was like, Ooh, yikes counseling. And mm. for you to be willing to say, you know what? 
screw that. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to like work on my stuff. You know what I mean? Like to yeah. get healthier yeah. for future relationships and just for myself yeah. and for future children, possibly like all of that mm-hmm. stuff. I think that's so, so yeah. amazing. Tell me about your podcast. Tell us like, what is it called? Where, what, what's the goal of your podcast? Where can we listen to it? All the stuff. Yes. So my podcast is called Come Like a Child and you can listen to it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I I just love to talk. Honestly, I have written a book that I soon want to publish. And I said, you know what? I can start sharing about this book on the podcast. And um, I... And I'm going to I'm going to butcher the verse, which is so bad because it's about my podcast. But when Jesus says, come to me like a child, those of Mm -hmm. you who do not come like a child would not will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. That's where the name comes from. Um, And when I think of a child, a child is very dependent on their father. They can't drive. They can't cook. They don't have money to pay bills. And that's how that's how Jesus wants us to be with him. He wants us to come very dependent on him Um, and also children are very transparent. If they don't like your hair, they will tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if they don't like your clothes, they would they would tell you. They are just very honest and transparent. And that's how I want it um, and, and want the podcast to be very open and transparent about mm. um, everyday life situations. Um, I talk a lot about relational things on the first episode, which comes from um, the book. And I just, yeah, I just want it to be a place where we can be transparent and talk about the daily struggles that people are experiencing. So go check it out. I need to do better with recordings, but. (laughs) Well, it's hard to stay on top of it, right? It's like you have a full-time job, you're an intern. It's hard to stay on top of like. Oh my gosh. I have my hands in a lot of things. (laughs) Yes. Oh, well, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. I mean, that's where I heard your story for the first time. So you're Mm. doing just an awesome job there. Um, So where can we find you online if people want to follow you and just kind of stay up to date with you? Yes. So I have a personal account, um, Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y-D, just the letter D minor, M-I-N-O-R. So Ashley D minor. And then I do have a, uh, Instagram account for the, po- the podcast and it's come like a child. Awesome. And so, yeah, you guys follow me and DM that's awesome. All the things, nothing's too weird. I promise. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So listen, we have to end on a silly question that we always do. What is your favorite snack right now? Ooh, I would say I'm a huge snacker. I would say my favorite snack is probably two things, some chocolate covered almonds. and. I'm a big cereal girl. I love to just snack on kashi. I think that's how you say kashi cereal. Yeah. And I get and I get the the peanut butter and the chocolate. So that's what I, I get. Them. No. Me too. Hey, no. I, okay. I literally <laughs> just at Target got because for a long time I just would buy the peanut butter, whatever it's called, like peanut butter crunch protein, mm-hmm. something, whatever. Mm-hmm. Delicious. And then I realized I was like, 
OMG, this comes in chocolate as well. I mix yes. them. Delight. It's a delightful <laughs> snack. I absolutely Life changing. I will not eat one without the other. It's like- so good. Because it's like kind of like dessert, but it also fills you up. It's like a great, great snack. Yeah. And it's healthy. And so it's like, I will sometimes eat that in the morning, but a lot of times that's my late night snack. Like if I'm coming home <laughs> Me late- too. I, It's my late night snack, so. I love cereal at night. (laughs) I don't actually ever want cereal in the morning. Yeah, it's very rare for me too. I don't know if I just, yeah, like, I don't know if I don't like cold breakfast or something. I don't know, Mm. but I'm always like, why would you eat cereal in the morning? But at night, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Are you with your chocolate covered almonds? Are you dark chocolate or milk chocolate? I'm milk chocolate, but I'm trying to be a little healthier. Although I have a thing about healthy chocolate. I mean, is it really... It's no, I know. I agree with you. It's like they say, oh, these antioxidants or whatever. Fine. It's chocolate. You know what I mean? Like enjoy your life. I mean, how, how healthy can you make chocolate in certain foods? So exactly. And it's like, if you don't like dark chocolate, don't eat it. I happen to like it, but my husband, okay. So like I, I like both. I like milk and dark, but my husband got into chocolate covered almonds. I buy him the milk chocolate covered almonds at Costco. Do you guys have Costco in Texas? We do. We do. Yo, I every time I go, I buy him like <laughs> two or three tubs. Of really? Those. Oh, they're so good. But he goes through them so fast. It's ridiculous. We can't oh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't have any self-control. When I, I, try, I live alone, so I try not to buy certain things because I'm like, okay, Ashley, you don't have anyone to blame. You ate that whole box of so chocolate covered almonds. So. They're so good. They're so addicting. <laughs> you can go through them so, so fast. So addicting. Oh, yes. I love it. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on here today and sharing your story. Yes. We appreciate it so much. And I'm just so excited for what you're doing. And just, I'm excited to follow along on social media and just see where life takes you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. I'm honored. Awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.